want to go to there. Snipe! Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, yes. 30 Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts, get Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sides TV podcast. This is Kate Colson and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Uh, I don't think I can reasonably complain. I feel like uh, I, I could be imagining things, but are, are our Sundays of insanity finally winding down a bit? Don't say that. Why would you say that? <laughs> what are you doing to us? Well, they were winding down, um, especially with... We have some finales this week that we'll be talking about, and Penny Dreadful is nearing the end of its its run, but we just picked up Halt and Catch Fire, and that's a Sunday show, so, you know, who knows how it's <sighs> going to go over the next few weeks. And, of course, we got other Sunday shows starting up to fill the void. Heaven forbid we have a Sunday night that looks, you know, nice and relaxed for us, but... um. But no, uh, right right now it's not insane, and yet I'm still behind because I have not started this season of Orange is the New Black. I was like, no, no, I'm finishing Sense8 before I start Orange is the New Black, and I got a bunch of writing I need to do before I can do that. So, uh, yeah, I, I was doing my best to be responsible with that this that week. was that was my plan and then it just didn't really work out so i've now seen about half of each which is just which is not very helpful for the podcast but not not uh, really I'll, I'll do my best we'll talk about it uh when we when we get to our week in genre and our week in drama but um we should mention up here at the top uh that i got the chance to talk with brian reitzel the composer for hannibal um last week or actually the week before and uh, there was a couple you know mildly spoilery things for the very beginning of the season of Hannibal. So I held on to it a little bit, but it should be good to go now. So we're, we're going to run that at the end of this episode. It was amazing to talk to talk to him. Uh, it's like a 45 minute interview. He was very generous with his time and I totally nerded out. You, you like, you know, I would have to talking about the, the music and the composition and, and soundtrack choices for Hannibal. So very excited for y'all to hear that. Uh, I'm, I'm just amazed that, you both survived that interview. <laughs> yeah, I was recording under less than ideal situations because uh, of where I was staying for ATX. I didn't realize that it was going to be a very loud place. So I was just kind of hoping nobody used, like, like the, the, the ran the water or anything because the walls were, like, paper thin. So it was it was stressful, but uh, hopefully that doesn't come across in the interview because it was, it was lovely to speak with Mr. Reitzel. Um, we had, I had plenty of lovely conversations with people this week on Twitter and then Twitter ate all my at mentions for the past month. So all of those wonderful, uh, Hannibal and Sensate and many other conversations are gone and into the ether. But thank you all for, for, for talking to me on Twitter this week. Uh, the one listener feedback that I do still have because it was at the website and maybe this is another reason people should reach out and talk at the website. Uh, we always love getting comments there was from George. Um, who said, uh, who just posted information about Series Fest? Because, of course, last week we talked with Ted, Todd Vanderwerf about the ATX uh, Television Festival. 
in Austin, and I was saying in that segment of talking with Todd that there really weren't other TV festivals that I could find where it was like a dedicated weekend of like just to TV, the way that film festivals are so commonly structured. And so George uh, mentioned there's Series Fest, the TV pilot festival, which is June 18th, so coming up this weekend through the 21st in Denver, Colorado. So, uh, and I checked at the website. You guys, it just if you Google it, it'll it'll come right up. And they have some interesting uh, guests and screenings planned. They're ta- they're talking about different types of pilots and uh, other discussions like casting and TV and. Um, there's some other discussions that I think will be interesting. The, the head of original programming or something for AMC is going to be there. So like, there's some interesting people that, so if you're in the Boulder or sorry, the Denver, Colorado area, maybe check it out. Uh, I, I would think about it if I was anywhere near Denver. <laughs> um, what, what was new for, for you this week in TV news and in, in, uh, talking with our fabulous listeners? Uh, there, there wasn't a whole lot on my end. Uh, mostly it was, uh, Mostly it was trying and failing to uh, to keep Orange is the New Black spoilers off of my Twitter. I did all the filtering that I could, but it, it, it I was powerless, as See, it turns out. I got none. Maybe I just uh, maybe I just follow people who are more spoiler phobic, um, but I, they're just like crying now, like that kind of thing. But um, I didn't actually get any specific spoilers at all. Um, and, and I didn't even mute anything, so I'm, I'm feeling, I'm tempting fate here by waiting a full week. Um, but I also don't feel like my feed has been taken over. Like, if I wasn't having, you know, someone who hosted a TV podcast and was a TV editor and was a TV critic, I would have forgotten Orange is the New Black had a new season already and been, like, just thinking about other TV programming. So this, <laughs> this whole Netflix binge thing is not working out for them because even a show that i love like orange is the new black it's hard for it to grab my attention when it's only you know when it's a one and done dump and then because everybody's so worried about spoilers nobody can actually talk about it yeah well although it doesn't stop some people and also like having two big series drop within like two weeks of each other and then isn't bojack in like a month something like that yeah so yeah, they're they're getting a little bit too close together for my liking. Well, I still want to be talking about Sense Eight, and so that's why. And as people are catching up with that show too, so I'm not ready to move on to talking about the next show yet. Um, yeah, that's part of what's you know heightening the fatigue, I guess. Um, the last thing I should mention up here at the top is I was a guest on the Caffeinated Comics podcast, which you guys can check out. Uh, I had a chance to hang out with John Clark, one of the hosts of that, at the DePaul Supernatural uh, Celebration, and we had a a panel about podcasting there, and so uh, they invited me on to talk about TV series finales from this past year, so we talked about uh, uh, Justified and Parks and Rec and uh, Mad Men and and some of these other, you know, the newer shows like Flash and some of these other things, so that was really cool, so you guys can check that out um, if you just, you know, look up Caffeinated Comics and you'll you'll find... uh, that podcast by John and Steven. So very cool to talk with them and get a different perspective. Some people who don't watch way too much TV. They, they read way too much, way too many comics. I'm sure much like I watch way too much TV, but it was really cool to talk with them. Um, but let, let's move into our week in TV because we got, like I said earlier, we got a long interview at the end of the podcast and we, we are really enjoying this whole notion of being under two hours every week. So what do you say? We kick it over to our week in comedy. Yeah. Let's do it. We'll be right back with that.
this week in comedy and reality and drama, basically everything that isn't genre. Uh, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about uh, Orange is the New Black, season three, or Simon's going to talk about it, because like I said earlier, I haven't had a chance to watch any yet. Then we'll talk Unreal, uh, which it's, as we are talking now, it's airing its third episode, so I'll talk about the first two. Simon's seen the first one, so we'll just kind of chat about that. And then we'll talk the Silicon Valley finale, Two Days of the Condor, and the Veep finale, Election Night. Uh, also, just to mention, we don't have uh, we don't have screeners for most of these, and also, even if we did, it, it was, again, it was a swamped week, so I was not able to catch up with them. Starting next week, we have The Brink and Ballers on HBO, Deutschland 83 on Sundance. Very excited about that. We'll be talking about that next week on the podcast. Wish we could have done a preview this week, but just there wasn't time, unfortunately. Um, Y'all should check it out, though. We trust Sundance TV. And True Detective Season 2 is starting up, and on ABC, The Astronaut's Wives Club is starting up. And again, I'll have a review of that pilot next week on the podcast. That's all coming in the next week. Remember how we were were saying there wasn't going to be much summer TV? Okay, I know we're previewing these later, but what is the Astronauts Wives Club? It's a show about the wives of the astronauts. Uh, I think in like the initial NASA missions, I not a, don't quote me on that. Nobody quote me on that. Um, but that's the concept. <laughs> so it's like a period show, but about their lives and what it was like to be, you know, in that select group of people. Huh. Yeah. All right then. I can't imagine being married to somebody who's gonna like. Have we tested this thing? Eh, probably won't kill him. Pro- maybe. Probably. <laughs> probably. Uh, anyway, so that's coming up this week on, H- uh, on, on ABC. Uh, the music that, we, that played us into this segment uh, was Rebel Girl by Bikini Kill, which I'm told is featured this season on Orange is the New Black. I've heard some rumblings that there's good music this season, but it, like I said, plenty of times. I haven't seen any of it yet. How are you liking season three of Orange is the New Black, and how far into it are you at this point? We will... Keep things spoiler-free, never you fear listeners, but Simon, where are you at with season three? Uh, utterly, totally spoiler-free. Uh, I've seen six, I believe, six episodes uh, I watched in fairly short order. Um, I, I, det- I have always detected very little quality variance when it comes to Orange is the New Black, uh, which is actually incredibly refreshing because if you watched Weeds, uh, Genji Cohen's previous show, uh, you'll know that that show had some serious quality control issues. And that doesn't seem to be a problem for OITNB, uh, which makes me happy. Uh, the uh, um, it's it's too early to say based on this first half if uh, what sort of the organizing principle of the season is. Um, but I do like uh, what what they're going with in terms of um, which characters are getting attention and which ones are not. And some of you will already know what I'm talking about. And um, I think that they've they've made some smart decisions there. Although I I do find it amusing sometimes when uh when people's when people talk about how oh I'm so glad we're not getting such and such an episode or an episode with so and so or you know when they express like fierce preferential treatment towards one character or another because that to me is kind of against the spirit of the show. Yeah, I hear you. To me, to me the show like. To me, the show is really about empathy, and it's about empathizing with everyone on the show. Like, if we had gotten a porn stash episode back in season one, I guess we could still get one at some point if Pablo Schreiber feels like uh, feels like swinging by. Yeah, that would that should be worthwhile because that is what what the show is about. It's about you know looking at these people from all kinds of walks of life and with all kinds of experiences from all kinds of backgrounds, and uh, and seeing what makes them tick. And uh, the show is definitely keeping up that trend. Uh, through this season in a way that I'm hoping will 
remain compelling uh, in a way that last season kind of didn't for me. I, I, I thought it kind of went off the rails near the end. Uh, hoping that doesn't happen this time. There is a new character who shows up about midway through this season um, who has it. And I'm just saying this based on their initial appearance. Kind of has a poochy vibe to me. Uh, we'll see how that how that blossoms or doesn't later on. Anyway, so far, uh, definite unqualified uh, thumbs up. It's nice to have it back. Excellent. Glad to hear it. And uh, yeah, last season... When you're talking about, oh, thank goodness we don't have a blah, blah, blah episode, that seems very odd. Like, last season, it was, I wish we had a blah, blah, blah episode. Like, I wish we had gotten more of Liver and Cox last season. Um, there's a couple other people who felt uh, backburnered in a way that I was disappointed with at the end of the season. But I wouldn't have imagined people saying, we don't need, get rid of that person. Let's ha- feature this other one more. You know, like you say, that feels out of keeping with the... um the personality of the show. So that's interesting. I'll have to keep an eye out for that once I start watching. Also, I just want to, I just want to quickly add the first episode, which is oriented around mother's day, uh, is probably like top five material for the show. That's intriguing. Uh, the, the others are solid, but that first, that premiere to me is like head and shoulders above the rest. No, at least so far looking forward to it. Okay. Well, let's move on to our next show, which is unreal, which is a show that's on airing. I is this on lifetime? It's on Lifetime. It's on Lifetime, original programming on Lifetime. And this is one that basically, this is the kind of thing that we get emails about or we hear people talking about, and you're not always sure if you should take it seriously because Lifetime has has up, had other original programming. It just has never seemed like it's something for me. Um, but when, you know, critics who, you know, who, who, get, who were getting paid to review it and checked it out wouldn't shut up about it, we thought, hey, let's... Yeah, let's check it out. And I'm glad that I did. I liked spending these two episodes in this world with these characters. Um, I, I, it doesn't hurt that we get Constance Zimmer uh, actually getting really interesting and fun things to play. Not always interesting, but always fun. And uh, and it's it's great to get Sherry Appleby on my TV because I just I loved her so much on Girls, and I was like waiting after that her popping up there and doing such a good job, waiting for somebody to cast her in something, and then just nothing came immediately from that. It was which was frustrating. So I think she's good in the role too. So I, I'm liking this one. I watched the first two. How many have you seen? Uh, I've only watched the pilot. I'm not really sure if I can do more than that. Is the thing. Um, the, it's certain, it's one of those rare cases of, uh, it's, it's clearly, it's sharply written. Um, a, much of the characterization is very witty. I mean, this comes to us, uh, co courtesy of Marty Noxon, um, who is, uh, who, who is, who is, it's great to see her back in the swing of things, by the way, working on a couple different shows. Uh, but the, I mean, the, the basic premise of the show is that it's, it's a behind the scenes of a fake version of the bachelor, essentially, and a fake I would assume nastier version, but I haven't watched The Bachelor, so I couldn't tell you. Um, and the outlook of the show is, I, I, I believe the way I put it on Twitter was, uh, it's a thousand times bleaker than Hannibal. Which I actually, I'm not even joking, I truly believe that. It is absolutely uh, black-hearted, which I think I would be fine with um, if there was anything besides that to latch onto, or if it was really, really funny. Um, which it isn't, and it doesn't, as far as I can tell. Um, you know, th- this this the Shiri Appleby character is thrown back into this toxic environment. Um, I guess we fi- we figure out by the end of the first episode because she basically kind of enjoys it, um, or you know, finds something satisfying in it. Which okay, but I I, I guess mm-hmm. I, I just don't really see a way in uh, for me as a viewer to like want to spend time 
in this in this horrible horrible place with so many awful people or in some cases just cardboard cutouts because the show is, is sort of by necessity does feature these uh, uh a few characters who don't seem entirely real interesting um because i didn't get that sense at all um by the end of the first episode i seemed pretty clear to me that she was just there because that was the only way that they were going to drop their lawsuit against her and so that's why she was doing it oh i mean i got that part but she also has an evil grin at the end of the episode well i mean she's good at this and so it's a matter of you know finding the different elements of her personality and her nature um and seeing that and that's something i think it's true of all of us is just as people who you choose to surround yourself amplifies you know the situations and the environments you put yourself in or you find yourself put in you know outside of your control at times amplifies different elements of our personality and so the goal is always to find the people and find situations that bring out those elements of yourself that you are most proud about or uh, can be most proud of or um, can make you the person the type of person you want to be so um I, I i that feels very real to me and also i i the more i hear people talk about unreal the more concerned i am maybe about my meter my internal meter uh because <laughs> i don't feel like it's everyone's that like horrible and terrible i mean obviously yes it's you know obviously they're trying to find ways to make everybody look terrible but i can't get around these these women signed up for this so they made themselves fair game and that doesn't make it you know we're not blaming the victim and everything there but they're also getting paid for their time they're also like all of this stuff so yes these are these are blackly comedic episodes and scenes when we have them trying to figure out how they can you know make fun of the different women who are there on their show but i just again anyone who signs up for this I, you know, there's something that happens in the second episode. A, re a very extreme thing happens in the second episode where it's just, oh, my God, that's horrible. That that's just absolutely horrible. And then the way that it plays out in the second episode, a choice that one of the, the women makes. And I don't care why they, the reasons they try to give is like, I'm sorry, you came back. You came back when you should not have come back, when it is idiotic, the notion that you would come back. So I have no sympathy for you. You like you seem like you're a nice and good person, but as soon as you came back, what did you think you were coming back for? I mean, like you're you're asking to be fooled at that point. You're asking to be duped and asking to be made fun of. So um, I think that I, basically I think this is a long way for me to say I think they're they're balancing it well. And so I don't actually find it like a pit of terrible horrible people maybe i just think there's more of us of that in all of us than you know like i i can see how many of us would turn into these people i don't know it's funny how you're making them sound like they're actual people who are actually contestants on a real reality show well that's what they're uh, supposed, as supposed to, to be as, as opposed to characters being written for a drama uh, or in the, or a black comedy or whatever you mm -hmm. want to call it um which i think makes it different um than i mean i know the line is is uh is tricky which is the whole point between the distinction between those two things but i don't know i mean i i really just got the impression from that from that first episode that this was a show about uh whether well i i realize yes there, there's an element of 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 uh of volunteerism involved but as long as the victimizers are setting up the framework 
to me that puts the burden of responsibility on them okay um which which makes it difficult for me to um not want them to all drown <laughs> immediately so uh... yeah well and i guess i think that they're doing a good enough job of showing of making the the people that end up getting you know they're going to get twisted into these horrible caricatures on tv on the show within the show i think they're doing a good enough job of making them relatable and making like showing the audience how horribly they're being treated it's like i don't, I don't think they exist purely to be twisted and you know like i they feel like people to me i guess rather than victims to the slaughter for for constant zimmer you know um and i right. and again like you say it's a it's a that's an important distinction and um so far i think they're doing a good job with it more on this next week based on your endorsement i may try number two but i'm i'm not feeling good about it 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 doesn't make me feel good okay well fair enough very interesting if we found a show that like morally i'm more comfortable with than you are <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen very often. Really does not happen on this podcast. Let's move on to our last two episodes of This Week in Comedy, and that's this the, the HBO finales. This uh, We'll start with Silicon Valley's finale, Two Days of the Condor, uh, before we move on to Veep. And uh, this was just, I thought, you know, it's been a really strong season for Silicon Valley. And they got away from some of the things I was enjoying more later in the season. Like, I really would have liked to have seen those new coders stick around a bit longer, even though I understand why they're not there, but it just sort of made them feel like a, a digression rather than a, a commitment from the show to, to change things up and really establish and maintain that dynamic. Um, but I think that the way that everything came together in this finale, it was super fun. And I, I liked that there was sort of a philosophical bent and discussion to what happens here. Uh, what, what did you think? Were, were you down with this whole, like, did you ever think Ehrlich would sell the house? Uh, no. And I, again, I think this is what we like about Silicon Valley is that it's, it has plenty of cynical humor, but it's generally aimed at, it's, it's at the expense of, uh, of the people who are weirdly lionized by society. The, the Steve Jobses who probably don't deserve the, the most of the plaudits they got. Yeah. You heard me jobs. Anyway, <laughs> um, I, I was really, uh, I was really satisfied with the way these last few episodes were able to, um, to uh, to capitalize on so many uh so many long simmering ideas and the way that it all came together with the with the the live stream and the um the, the Schrodinger's cat uh, analogy from last week and then everything that came together with the um with the with the court case and then uh it, I don't know it was all very elegant is what I'm trying to say and, and you you get that um you get that experience that Mike judge has of, uh, of, of crafting films and of, of having some sense of, uh, of how to, uh, of how to have a long con in terms of, uh, in terms of crafting comic stories. And that's something that we don't get a lot, um, especially in live action comedy. So that's really great to see. Uh, I, I also, I agree. I would have liked to have seen the new coder sort of be integrated, but I guess in retrospect that that was never going to happen. On the other hand, it seems like the, um, but why uh, not? Like the uh well it just it doesn't it, it didn't seem to be where the show's heart lies. On the other hand, it and seems again, like the Raviga people. But why and not? Yes, that, <laughs> well, that's okay. That's, sorry, I'll stop interrupting you. <laughs> I'm not Mike Judge, damn it. Um, on the other hand, it seems like the Raviga people will probably be better integrated next season, or at least by necessity, uh, given what happens at the end of the at the end of the year. So, uh... yeah, I mean. 
the energy of the the live stream and the coding and the fire and the way that all that all comes together it's really it's very entertaining it's very well crafted like you said it's elegant the way that everything comes together in this finale but I, i'm watching this just going and why don't we have our other awesome coders here doing it too because it's not like you know like i don't know anything about computers you really could just say like i can't help you i'm doing this thing and Techno babble, like there, there's no reason that they can't have that they still need Erlik, you know. Like it was just so nice to have more than one female character on this show for a while. Uh, to play devil's advocate for a second, um, I think the idea was supposed to be, you know, they're mounting this incredible feat, and it's more impressive for them sim- symbolically if it's like the OG crew, I guess, uh, doing it alone. You know, which I again like. Yeah, no, like I'm not. Again, this is this is why it's called being yeah. the devil's advocate because it's dickish. <laughs> uh, but uh, there, there is a certain logic there. Well, and I and I get it, but I just um, and maybe it's because they incorporated them so well that they just seemed they they flesh they just they were part of the gang really quickly and really uh, seamlessly. So that's why, you know, and I get, and yeah, just by sheer numbers, I mean, Richard's not there. It's literally just the, the handful of them. So yeah, I get it. But um, I just, you know, I, I like when the show commits, ma- makes a change and then when it works, commits to it. So I just hope that, that with Raviga, um investing, you, you get, we get a return of those characters and some new ones too. I, I don't want them to get stagnant um, and because they really did grow this season. So hopefully that'll continue next season. On the other hand, uh, we we should celebrate the fact that it's now been two full seasons and still no love interests. Yes. yes. Isn't that amazing? It's great. That's so great. They've just kind of been teasing the Richard and, oh, God, you know what? I can't even remember her name. What's her Monica? name? Monica. The Richard and Monica thing is like every now and again they tease that, but I'm very glad they didn't but really. he just sucks too much. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's just like that hasn't come up. And I really appreciate the way that, that the finale validates her interest in the company and, and her vision in supporting them this time, uh, throughout this time, I, I thought that was, I, I really appreciate just that little bit of, you know, insight from the, the other Raviga owner and to, to give them this triumphant victory and then immediately undercut it going into the next season. Um, I'm looking forward to season three. I, you know, it, it, they've done a good job and I'm very excited that a season three of a Mike Judd show is going to be coming next year. But uh, unfortunately, a season five of an Armando Iannucci show is not coming next year because he is leaving Veep. This was his final episode, Election Night, the finale of of season four, as showrunner. And if you're going to go out, I think it's a pretty damn good episode to go out on. I Again, I, I, get, I love this episode. You can read my review at the AV Club. I thought they did a great job. Give a big ole. Um, yeah, that's, that's a pretty fabulous way to go out. Uh, it was a pretty strong finale. Um, I mean, it's it's not at all surprising to me that Ianucci wants to do other things. He's already done more of Veep than he has of anything else, just because there's more episodes in the American model. Um, I see absolutely no reason why uh, his his crew couldn't. Uh, the, I don't want to say that that the show has a has a has a strict template. But it, it, I mean, its style is pretty well established. Its patter is very well established. Its ensemble is very, you know, solidly enmeshed with each other. I see no reason they couldn't uh, keep it going 
uh, and possibly even be better. I mean, who knows? Anything is possible. I'm not. I'm not as concerned as as I would have been a couple seasons ago. Let's put it that way. Yeah, definitely. It seems like they uh, are a very well oiled machine, and we'll have to, you know, wait until next year to see if that if they're able to just continue smoothly forward. But I think this episode, uh, it sounds like I liked it more than you did. Um, but, and I'm, I think the way that it blends, I think what most impressed me with it is that it pulls off something that you had speculated about and other uh, people watching the show had speculated about of how could, is there, is somehow Tom James going to end up as potentially the president and Selena, the vice president. And they, I also really like that they don't say that that is, that that it's still a stretch but there, there's an outside chance that could happen. They find a way to do that that is, again, like we were saying with Silicon Valley, that is elegant, hilarious, and totally believable um, because of the vagaries of the American political system. They, they find space for pretty much every character to get at least one really funny moment. And they build up all this energy and excitement uh, around it. So they have they have this like plot and this twist. They have comedy and they have character all in one episode. And that's something that um, that when Veep can pull off all those together, it's a pretty special show. And I, I think it also this the fact that this is Ianucci's last episode is important because uh, it, this episode really pr- helps remind you that Veep is a much more sentimental show than the thick of it ever was. Uh, in terms of allowing its characters to uh, like each other sometimes, and uh, you know, and to you know, to really come together as a team, and for that to be uh, something you can actually root for, even while you acknowledge that they're, uh, you know, potentially destroying their nation uh, or the free world or whatever, however you want to put it, and also just allowing uh, individual characters to have uh, to get victories every now and again, like like what happens with Jonah, even if he does, uh, you know managed to make it still embarrassing um but you know like that's that that sort of arc it would have been unthinkable on the thick of it yeah absolutely and uh having i mean his arc was he got molested repeatedly by his boss um and yet at the end of the season like they put him through hell uh you know really just really uncomfortable and and really terrible stuff and yet, at the end of the season, he still feels like a, a, and he's been affected by this. It's been a, a, a journey over the course of the season, trying to deal with and process and move forward. But he still feels like Jonah. It's what it, the the arcing of that has been really tremendous. And like you say, that's that is not something that they would have done on the thing. But they certainly wouldn't have had it somehow him to come out <laughs> with his ch- jacket. Don't neglect it. Uh, you know. And some stand-up comedy, which he's terrible at. But hey, oh. good for him being able to try, being confident enough to try. Yeah, um, I I also like that this episode quietly confirms that Meyer's a Democrat. Not only, mm-hmm. I mean, through the through the the states that she wins and the colors, and also the fact that Band of Horses is playing her inaugurate her her I guess what may or may not end up as her inauguration. Indie rock bands don't vote Republican. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, she's where she's blue on the map and the states that she's winning, but they still won't they won't go on the record officially, which is you know fine. I'm I'm fine with that. I'm good with it. Um, so yeah, yeah, I thought that was fun. I liked the having Dan in the CNN booth added a little bit of um, uh, personality to those scenes, and it gives a bit more of a connection to it, which I thought was nice. I. 
I liked the moon-faced hobbit, uh, which was pretty great. Neil Casey. I, I also, I mean, I, I just, I like, I like the whole idea of skewering the Nate Silver type, the like, the like statistical wonder kind who maybe isn't always a statistical wonder kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, any other highlights of the episode for you? Mike shocking everyone with his terrible shoes. Uh, oh, I'd forgotten about that. Um, no, I mean, I thought it was a, it was a strong finale. And like you said, the, the main, the really, the main thing was that they, they found a way to have their cake and eat it too, in terms of, uh, the plot mechanics. Um, and I'll and to find a way to have Tom James still be a part of this universe while not actually seeing him around because presumably they can't have Hugh Laurie around all the time. Um, which is, which is fine because I think we've, as, as, as much as he's become like an amiable presence on the show, I don't think he's in any way essential. Yeah, no, and and I really, I really hope that she ends up winning and maintains the presidency, and he's the VP next season. Uh, that makes way more sense. Uh, but if they do go the other way, I don't know if I again, I still have trouble buying that she would say yes. But you know, who knows? I think they can make they've done enough work that they can make that they can sell that. But based on how they leave things. Any chance that she was going to include him in a meaningful way in her presidency went out the window when he walked on stage and just completely ignored her. Um, so I think there's enough animosity there that they could very believably have him as the Veep and she's like, oh, fuck that guy and just doesn't include him at all. Um, so they could go either way with it. And the, the creativity and the, uh, the flexibility that that offers the writers for next season, I really appreciated. Oh. Um, I definitely find Tom James more interesting as a potential adversary or an invisible person than as an ally. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I also got to mention um, Amy and the Klumsky, and you're right, it's Klumsky. Uh, oh, that's embarrassing. I've been saying that wrong for literally years while reviewing it for the AV Club. Um, I, I really liked that they, they brought closure to her arc sort of a, of – over the season, her relationship with Selena thought that worked really well. I, the excellent performance from Julia Lee Dreyfus. She always makes the most of, you know, when they give her a, an even bigger uh, platform, and like they do in this episode. And um, for yeah, there's great stuff from everybody this week, as far as I'm concerned. Re read my review at the AV Club, and then check out the comments, which are amazing and delightful this 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 week. Lots of uh, American po political history discussion in the comments over there this week. So uh, definitely entertaining as well as just Joe uh, quotes of, you know, ridiculous lines about uh, America's ass crack. So, you know, the, the, that and more in the veeps in the veep comments. And that's why we, that's why I love the show. So um, what wins your week in comedy, Simon, we got, we got um, some contenders here. We do comedy and um, drama and all of that. Oh, we're, we're lumping them all together. Oh, we're man. lumping them all together. Um, Everything in this segment, what are you giving it to? Oh, I think I got to give it to Orange, just, just if only for the premiere. Okay, Orange premiere. I'm going to give it to the Veep finale, but uh, Silicon Valley definitely showed up as well. And um, I look forward to watching that Orange is the New Black premiere. Maybe I'd have a different opinion if I'd seen it. But for, for now, I'm going to give it to the Veep finale. Uh, now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in genre. We are back to... We are backed up so far. We are nothing but the dungeon pushed around and torn asunder. Isn't it day?
week in genre. Uh, we unfortunately do not have a preview of Killjoys or Defiance. There are some shows starting up on, on Sci-Fi Channel this week. Let us know if I should tune back in. I, I, I'm not going to speak for you, Simon. Let us know if I should tune back in for the, the new season of Defiance and some of these other shows on Sci-Fi. Uh, currently not planning to because I'm going to prioritize Orange is the New Black over that. But um, but let me know. I always love to hear from our listeners. You know, stay on the pulse of that. Instead, this week we're, we're going to be talking uh, a little bit about the iZombie finale, Blaine's World, uh, the Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell pilot, and then we'll talk some Sense8, Orphan Black, Insolvent Phantom of Tomorrow, Penny Dreadful, Little Scorpion, and then, of course, the Game of Thrones finale, Mother's Mercy. Of course, there is the Sound of the Game of Thrones podcast, which by the time you're hearing this should be up in your feed. Um, so I'm not going to say too much about it, but Simon is, and we wanted to put that at the end so that there can be some spoilers there. Um, if you don't want to be spoiled when we get there, we'll, we'll leave another spoiler buffer, but then you can just skip right on ahead to, uh, our, our interview with Brian Reitzel after that. But first let's kick things off with iZombie. Uh, you may have noted we did not say Hannibal in that list. And why is that Simon? Uh, because I'm on the Hannibal podcast. Uh, this is our design this week, so we both are, so anything we have to say is redundant, and you can go listen to that elsewhere. Yes. We like the episode. You're glad that Will is back. Yes, it's a good episode. We t- You can hear us talk about this for 80 effing minutes if you want. Yes. You can go listen to This Is Our Design, and that happened. Yes, highly recommend. Go listen to This Is Our Design. So instead, let's kick things off with iZombie, which had its finale. You've already checked out of the show at this point. Um, I th- yeah, m- much to the confusion of the Twitterverse. Yes, all of Twitter is confused by that. Uh, I thought this was a solid finale. I like the cliffhangers that they have. I like It's, it's interesting to see a show when... Um, uh, Rob Thomas is not concerned about getting canceled, uh, which apparently at a certain point of of the run or the production of iZombie, he felt pretty confident, you know, because of the ratings it was getting that he didn't have to worry about things. So it ends on cliffhangers. Uh, they, you know, the way that they just get rid of the zombie cure, like they, they make the zombie cure and then basically waste it um, in a way that makes sense and yet is um, simultaneously a bit frustrating. So... I think they handled that pretty well. I didn't expect them to pull the trigger on uh, what what happens to the brother. But, again, he's not dead yet. So we'll see what happens. I think that's an interesting choice. Ending the season on that character choice rather than on action beat or on something else um, is a very positive sign as far as I'm concerned. It shows me that, again, the show has its priorities where I would prefer it have them uh so so that's in, has me intrigued and i look forward to seeing what they come up with when they put the show uh together over you know like when the writers come back together after having some time off and see if they can maybe tweak a few things to make uh olivia feel a little bit more concrete and more distinct as a person rather than being so completely affected by the brains that she's eating so that is uh, where i'm at with the eye zombie finale but i, I really have to hand, hand it to them the way that they have handled major all season it's the the it's the girlfriend character from all of these genre shows, but done well. And so, um, tip of the hat to the folks at iZombie for for making me really invested in and caring about the the superheroes um, kept out of the loop, significant other. Um, that's probably the best I've seen that done in quite a while. So that's where I'm at with iZombie. Uh, Jonathan Strange, Mr. Norrell had its pilot. You talked a bit about it last week. Uh, I liked it more than you did, and I will be checking in for probably the entire season or miniseries here. It's it's interesting because it is not at all what I 
well, it's somewhat what I expected, because how could it not be somewhat what you <laughs> expected, right? You know, because turn of the century, whatever, 19th century, early 19th century um, wizards. So, I mean, there's you're going to expect some of it. But I did not I expect it to be like a buddy comedy kind of thing. I didn't expect there to be this antagonism and it to be so disconnected at the start. So that's interesting. And I, I, I'm intrigued, even if certain elements, um, like I think you were hinting at last week, do feel very... And now let's set up this thing that will happen at the end. You know, like it just, there's some plotting in there that just does feel very much like in three chapters, this is going to come back. Um, You know, I think some of the direction could have de-emphasized that if they'd made a few different choices. But um, on the whole, I enjoyed it. And I like the performances. And like you said, always glad to see Eddie Marsden on my uh, TV. So that's where I'm at with Jonathan Strange. Let's dive in, though, with Sense8. I've seen the entire first season. How much have you seen, Simon? I have seen seven sense-eights. That's not confusing at all. Seven of 12. And I was very glad to see the supposed critical consensus shift over the course of this past week. Because the first stuff that we were hearing was very... um, Some of it felt very flippant. I, I think, does that feel like... Is that accurate, would you say? Um, I mean, there was definitely, uh, like, Ponyzoic at time and Seppenwall and a few other people, like, big people, um, seemed to be pretty eager to, uh, to dismiss the show as being, uh, silly, as being, like, a typical sort of scattershot Wachowski's project, which, um, both are true, uh, but I don't think that means it's not also, uh, really compelling. Um, it is... the the thing that that I find most interesting about it, having now watched seven episodes, is, is that it is literally trying to visualize and dramatize things that are impossible to visualize. Maybe not impossible, but very, very, very difficult to uh, to to try and make a, a viewer feel. You know, you have characters who are meant to be simultaneously experiencing things in multiple different places. Um, there's a particular scene in one episode where a character is describing feeling the sun while, while also being drenched by rain, um, which you can't really visualize without like prohibitively expensive CGI or split screen or some kind of gimmick, which the show really does mostly doesn't do. Mostly it lets you figure it out for yourself via, you know, parallel editing and things like that. And, and some good, damn good uh, performances as well. Cause that's gotta be hard to play. Yeah, that that can't be easy. Uh, some of the performances are better than others, uh, but there certainly hasn't been anything like glaringly awful. Um, the uh, and I, I I will also say that uh, again, having only seen seven and you've seen the whole thing, um, sh- like at at the end of that seventh episode, some shit gets real, uh, which I was like, I was really impressed with the way um, the the sort of genre elements of the show are really restrained. In those first six episodes, like, it's really quite content to be, like, a vaguely supernatural drama a lot of the time. And then it just ramps right up, like, right up in a way that I was really impressed with. Yeah, there's so much that I enjoyed about the show. And this is one of those that I can see what people are saying uh, when they're talking about. And and when I started watching this, I was, like, half an episode in. If not, I mean, definitely by the time I got through the first and second episode, before I was just, like co-signing everything that you were saying last week (laughs) simon and particularly because i was skeptical at some of your tone but uh co-signing the crap out of that tone too (laughs) where it's like (laughs) yeah okay the dialogue isn't always amazing but 
guys, you're missing the fucking point. This is your... And uh, and anyone who watches these, you know, if you try try out the show and you watch the first handful of episodes and you're getting stuck on some of the kind of cheesy dialogue, just stop watching the show because it's not for you. And that's fine. But this is damn straight a show for me. I loved this show. And yes, there are issues. It has problems. It's not a perfect show. But it's swinging for the fences. It's going for these really like you said, hard, difficult to convey, but really interesting and introspective ideas, this sense of um, of connection, which is a theme that so many films and TV shows have really explored. But this show's lack of interest in plot, you know, it's like, this isn't lost where, oh, everyone's connected. There's a reason because there's a, you know, there's a guy on an island and he went and visited all of them. And now they're magically connected. <laughs> it's, it really, it could not care less about that. I mean, and, and maybe that's some of the issues some people have had with it where they want it to be that. They want it to be this, like, they, this is the version of heroes that I want to see, you know, where the people are connected across the globes and there's like these abilities or whatever, um, because they don't care about the plot. Every now and again, something comes up. There are dramatic things happening in each of these characters' lives. Um, and, and they're certainly more on the heightened side of things. There is a conspiracy at some level that comes into play here and there. But this is also a show that is really interested in just sitting with someone on a park bench and having them talk to somebody else who thinks that they're hallucinating halfway across the world and yet is surprisingly willing to go with it. I love the way that these characters don't like check themselves into a mental institution. Don't like they, they have the conversation of, am I going insane because I'm hallucinating people and I think I'm experiencing this other thing completely on the other side of the world that, and I know rationally that that's insane, but I love the way the show commits to that and doesn't waste our time with them fighting against it. And instead, just pretty quickly has them experiencing things that they can't, this like, there's nothing they can say. Like, this is what I experienced, so I have to accept it. You know, I didn't know mm -hmm. that person's phone number. And I told them my phone number, like, like, and they called me. So, like, there's no possible way that that could have happened if what I was, you know, experiencing wasn't in some way valid. Um, and so... I just I really appreciate that that aspect of the show and its interest in lyricism, its interest in emotion, its interest in showing different experiences, even if everybody, like you say, is very pretty. I like that they give a reason for the lack of diversity in age. Uh, that's that's nice. But um, it's it's interested in all these different people's lives, and yes, there some of it's very tropey, some of it's very typical, but they treat each corner of this show with respect and in a way that I really, really appreciate. I, I, I'm just totally in the bag for the show. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, now that I've seen seven, like, should I be expecting like even better things in the, in the back half or do I feel, have I, have I gotten like pretty much an idea of what to expect at this point? I mean, I think it's really consistent. That's part of why I find it incredibly odd that people, because I've seen many people say, oh man, I can't believe they only sent out three to critics because it gets way better in episode four. I'm like, really? I don't think it does. I think it's very, like, maybe you weren't getting what they were doing in the first three <laughs> and they made it more explicit. Like the end of episode four has this like musical sequence that people are like, oh, Oh, now I'm like, dude, that's what they've been doing since episode one. Um, so maybe there's that. Maybe it's like that 
because I've seen so much genre stuff and because I'm so comfortable and familiar in this world, I'm very willing to just go with the universe they establish. And I understand that is not everyone's experience. That is not everybody's TV background. Um, but I, for me, it's very consistent throughout. And then there's certain parts of the season that focus on different characters. There's a, there's a ratcheting up of tension in the last chunk of the show that is very effective, much like the beginning, the few episodes focus, um, the, the emotional and dramatic stakes really focus on one character in particular uh, more than the others. There's a similar kind of thing towards the end of the season where they focus in on a different character um, while still showing the others. And but, but by the end of the season, you got all these characters kind of um, just kind of going back and forth and just this really their their ease with each other. You know, in the in the season finale, you've got characters meeting for the first time. You realize well, there's eight of them. Not every permutation has actually met yet. It's kind of great. Um, and I also love the specificity of characters. There's a uh, particular scene of intersection, shall we say, <laughs> yep. that, that not everyone participates in because that would make sense for their characters. Um, and I really appreciate that. We also we should we should mention the peen on the screen, right? In 15, we have another you know t- tip of the hat. Oh, so to speak. Uh, tip tip anyway. Uh, <laughs> tip of the something. Um, yeah, the um, it wins. It wins the. Pe- There's no way this that that has to win. It's not only peen on the screen. It's peen on the screen as like a pivotal plot moment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, because because so so thus thus far we've had two instances from looking. We've had uh, two from Outlander, Outlander. Uh, and one of them at least one both very notable for being. Not just like random, but being very explicit, like very intentional and very like, you know, a part of a plot thing. Not just like, and now I'm walking around naked because um, we've had it here. And I feel like, and we've had a Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones this week, though, not with any name characters. Um, so it's like background peen. Any other that I'm forgetting? Um, not that I can think of, but, uh, I, I mean, it's, it, it's safe to say it's, it's been a banner year for Pete. It's been a banner year. And I feel like we caught, we called it. We like at the end of last year, you know, we we're talking with Mo last year for our, uh, depiction of sexuality in 2014 segment. And we, we were calling for it. And then this year, apparently it was the correct year to start paying attention. We got the zeitgeist on lockdown, man. Boom. Any other thoughts on sense? There's, there's a particular scene um, a exchange that I just can't wait for you to see in the season finale. Um, Simon, so you're going to have to let me know when you, when you finish it. Cause there's just like, it's just beautiful. This one moment, uh, there's some really uh, satisfying stuff as well as, uh, you know, victories as well as some defeats in the finale. But there's just, just this one like little brief character thing. So you gotta let me know when you watch the finale so that I can be like, Oh my God, what this episode is awesome. And I'm oh like, ah, yeah. Uh, uh, the last thing I want to say for now is Duna Bay. Duna M. Fucking Bay. <laughs> She's the best. Yep, pretty much. Um, well, let us know if you've seen Sense8 uh, out there, guys. Uh, I would, I, I highly encourage people to check it out. Experiment with new kinds of storytelling. I mean, this really takes advantage of the Netflix model. This is the kind of, and now I was just complaining about it earlier, but this is the kind of show that, <laughs> that, the binge experience is very helpful because it really puts you in the headspace of these characters in a way that waiting week to week would make, I mean, I still would have loved it week to week, I think, but you know, like I feel like when I watched Spartacus from the first episode, people were not on board. I watched it and I was like, 
this is a show for me. <laughs> and so this Sense8 <laughs> is a show for me. Uh, so I think I would have liked it week to week too, but it certainly benefits, I think, for, for a lot of people from that binge experience. So let us know when you watch it. Let's, let's yes. move on, though, to Orphan Black, uh, Insolvent Phantom of Tomorrow. This is the penultimate episode of the season. I believe this is directed by Vincenzo Natale, yes? Who, uh, it was. Uh, it was a big week. Yeah, it's a big week for for Natalie. Um, and I, there were some because there were some visual flourishes. I was watching, going like, "Oh, he's trying!" And they just like three of them that he gets in there. I wish they had let him play more. But um, what did you think of this episode? Eh, I don't know. I felt like it was on such a good roll, and then this episode is just kind of like, eh. which is weird because a lot happens. But uh, I I think the real problem with the episode is that it relies heavily on its last few minutes to like deliver those, you know, what should be major twists. And they just kind of, eh. every time they, they reveal like a new level of interconnectivity to how the clone programs are related to each other. I just still really don't care. I'm not sure how what I think about the end. And that's, I think probably not helpful in, you know, relating to this episode. I, I'm really not sure if I, if I'm down with this, level of i guess manipulation as opposed to contrivance it feels like contrivance feels like absolute contrivance that um just it just happens that mrs s's you know mom is you know like all this stuff it's like i'm sure they're gonna reveal layers of conspiracy that we didn't even know about in how sarah was placed with and, and all of that stuff but i don't know it may, it may be a bridge too far for me to easily swallow uh yeah i mean this is the problem with or with with Orphan Black, which is when like its its plot isn't very good. <laughs> this is like this is a strange thing. It's a it can be such a great show, but it's like master mythology is just so basically uninteresting in so many ways, or at least seems to be in like the in like the bit by bit way they reveal it. Um, it feels like the, the way it feels like it 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 feels like Manson and Fawcett have like. 700 pages of mythology and every season we get five pages like i just i i just want to i want it all out in the open so we can move on to something new somehow yeah well i will what i do have to say though is um as much as i am not invested in corners of this uh as soon as uh, i was like as soon as like uh oh helena somebody's got your babies i was like yes doesn't make this storyline <laughs> worth it all season, but I will watch the crap out of Helena, uh, you know, getting some off-screen vengeance. Uh, that that was intense. She like high tension those dudes off-screen. Yeah. Uh, that 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 got that got real. Um, there was a, this was probably the most violent episode of Orphan Black ever between that and the uh, like extension cord beating thing, mm -hmm. which was not very pleasant either. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just I I missed the the fun and the character moments of the last few episodes. Um, this one felt like more straight up conspiracy genre, which was fine, but it's not really um their it's not what they're great they're they're okay at it, but it's not what they're great at. I don't think. I will, however, give a shout out to Mrs. S. I thought she sounded great. Uh, Maria Doyle Kennedy. Glad that they you know worked a, a reason in for her to sing, and that could be our music leading into this segment. Uh, did you enjoy that? Like, that was a nice character moment for me. It, I mean, it was nice that she got to have a character moment at all. Yeah, because um, usually she doesn't. Is... <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm still waiting for for Felix to, to to have his season where he gets to, you know, do his thing a little bit more. It was so great to see him sort of do that last week, but 
I just, I really need the episode where Felix gets a vacation. Yes. Can we end with him just sort of like on the beach drinking delicious beverages and, you know, having, having a fabulous time that I would watch the crap out of that. Yeah. Like, Hey, do you need me on this takeout? No, I think we're good. Cool. I'm going to Ibiza. (laughs) Nice. Well, let's move on to our next episode then. That's Penny Dreadful, Little Scorpion. And watching this episode, I was like, oh my God, are they going to give us another episode where it's basically just Vanessa talking to one other character uh, that we actually enjoy her seeing her talk to. And I was very enthused for about two thirds of this episode. episode. Yeah, exactly. And then all the other stuff started coming in. And at first it was, you know, it was Lyle. I was like, okay, this is still cool. Uh, but then they did manage to, to <laughs> bring back. I was like, oh, there's no Caliban this week. Awesome. There's no like Lily not understanding the world this week. Awesome. And then both of those things happened together too um so there was almost no caliban there was almost no caliban that's true but uh i I was underwhelmed by the second half of this episode and even just like the um when they again had 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 i was really liking eva green's performance throughout this until they had her uh decide to stop making out with josh hartnett and and immediately transfer her voice from her normal Vanessa Ives voice to grading of Vanessa Ives voice. Um, it was just <laughs> was a bit. I mean, like, yeah, I know you're gonna satanic chant and everything, and yes, excellent, most most acting award and everything. Um, but I was appreciating her performance the first half of this much more. Uh, yeah, well, it's just it's always nice to remember that that. that the character is supposed to be a human person, which uh, much of this episode let her do. And then just to have her be like, no, we can't bang because why? I don't really get it. Um, Because stuff the show says so. Well, and stuff. Now, is there like a prophecy about them? Because what Lyle, I I may have missed this with what Lyle was saying to Victor with like the scorpion and the hound and like they're drawn together, but they, that'll be the destruction of the world if they actually hook up, you know, like, was I missing something there? I probably was. Dude, for all the stuff that I enjoy about Penny Dreadful, its mythology is not the most coherent in TV history. Um, and I kind of, it's, I sometimes even like that about it. Um, but I don't like when it becomes like a main plot driver because it's so ambiguous that they could do anything with it, which makes it useless. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't really, I, I I don't remember anything that would preclude them getting it on at all. Just make let it happen, guys. Um, <laughs> the and also why why he feels like he can't tell, like, dude, I'm a, I'm a werewolf. Like, yeah. come well, on, he's he's, like, he's a wolf man, which is they they show that this week, which is an important distinction. He does not transform sorry, into sorry, a wolf. He's a wolf man. Which is, I, hey, you know, that's an important distinction. I like that they they cleared that up. I did think it was odd that he would be willing to roam the the field you know like the moors like this doesn't seem like doesn't seem very responsible uh but i guess maybe the notion is that his attachment to her is stronger than his uh need to never infect anyone else um even accidentally you know so so like there's some interesting stuff they could have played with there maybe they'll continue to do it a bit more but uh, yeah i guess i hadn't realized that she hadn't ever killed anyone before this yeah well uh, and sorry if I was an accidental wolf racist earlier. Um, <laughs> but anyway, the, uh, oh God, that's like the worst Toby Keith song ever. Um, the, uh, oh, by the way, as long as we're talking about shows and corny dialogue, I'm sorry, but nothing on Sense8 can come even close to welcome to the night. Like, oh Jesus, 
don't come on john logan i know you can do better well did did you have any thoughts about the second half of this episode we get lily just killing random dude i mean yes he's be he's kind of creeper or whatever but hey all for all he knows pretty girl was like sure let's get it on he didn't we didn't see him do anything bad and yet we're supposed to not care when she was be like oh that's shame but he was kind of pervy so it's you know like I don't know. What what makes you think that we're supposed to think that? I I think if we weren't, he would have been hot. Um, that's uh, that's one reading. Uh, I think we're supposed to care because um, it doesn't seem to be in her nature at all. And I, I the for them to do anything with her that isn't what they've been doing is automatically more interesting than what they were already doing. It's not great, but. If they're going to introduce the idea that the people that Victor resurrects are inherently murderous, uh, which would make sense, given what we've seen, uh, that's potentially kind of interesting, or at least more interesting than what they've been doing. So I'm all for it. Oh, yeah. I think we're supposed to care about the fact that she's killing people. I don't think we're supposed to care that he's dead. I mean, he's a rando, so we don't care in that sense. But I don't think we're supposed to think he had it coming. Okay. That's interesting. I was getting a maybe I I need to you know rewatch. I was getting kind of a vibe there, but that doesn't really make sense with the tone of the show, which is why it was seemed odd to me. Um, yeah, I agree though. Let's fast forward her storyline. Can we just get to? Let's just get to where we know that's going. Um, I I was I enjoyed Dorian Gray this week though. I would have you know I always prefer if we're gonna get Dorian Gray. Let's get some let's get some Angelique because. She's, you know, the, I, I prefer Dorian with Angelique, I guess. Um, and because whenever we see the two of them together, I just want, like, can we just get all the secrets out in the open already um, with, with, with Lily and everyone? But that's sort of where I'm at with 20 Dreadful. Really did, though. I can't, un, un, I, you know, I really can't over, um, overemphasize how much I did like the first, you know, half, two thirds of this episode, though. Yes, I would agree. More more dance lessons, mm-hmm. less Caliban. Yes. Uh, let's move on to our last show of this week in genre, and that's the Game of Thrones finale, Mother's Mercy. Um, so we're going to talk about this episode. Uh, Simon mostly is going to talk about this episode, but there will be spoilers for spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Game of Thrones Season 5, what has already aired. Um, if you don't want to be spoiled, then jump forward. Uh, it'll be listed in the show notes What what, you know, hour and minute mark you should jump to for our interview with brian reitzel um, but you have been warned and you've been given time to pause the recording pause the uh the 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 podcast simon what did you think of this finale of game of thrones <sighs> man this season was such a mess and this finale was such a mess i thought um i just really thought when the, when the season started there was such promise and i really thought it there was a chance that it could be their best season so far uh, if only just based on the promise of momentum. And I can't lie, there was lots of momentum, but I just really thought it was almost it, it was almost exactly half and half in terms of the plots that worked and the plots that didn't. Um, I thought the, the end of Stannis uh, made sense, and to have him uh, perish at the hands of Brienne was uh, a really smart move. Uh, even if her story this season mostly consisted of, let's go here, let's wait here for anything to happen. Uh, and then let's do something useful. It's, it wasn't much of a story for them, but okay. Uh, so that was that was good. Um, R.I.P. Ted Leo. Uh, what else did we have? Um, Arya. Okay, I mean pretty much exactly what we were expecting, except with creepy face removal. Okay, cool. I have no idea where that's going. That's fine. I prefer to have no idea where things are going than to have like crushing obviousness. Uh, so that was all right. Um, 
geez, I'm trying to just like rally through these. <laughs> and yet I can't, can't remember most of them except for the obvious one, which I'm going to get to soon. Danny and the Dothraki. Okay. Um, I don't really know where that's going, except that she doesn't seem to think it's going to go well, which I don't understand how that works. Cause you think they'd be really impressed with a dragon. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, okay. That's happening. Um, Tyrion and, uh, and Varys and Marine. That's pretty badass. I got to say. I'm I'm looking forward to that. Uh, that could be the whole next season, as far as I'm concerned. We don't really need most of the others. Um, uh, God, Theon and Sansa, Thelma and Louising it was ridiculous. Uh, I didn't really think that was very good at all. Um, there's no way they're dead. No way, zero ways that that's possibly what's happening. Uh, I would like to get your thoughts on that quickly. If at all possible, but I just don't see how, even though there's also no way anyone would, would, would survive that fall. So it was like double dumb. Yeah, that's, um, there's a 0% chance that, that either of them are dying or getting seriously injured. Um, I'm guessing it's like, oh, there's so much snow that'll break their fall. <laughs> it's totally not or like rocks snow, below. snow and then a moat maybe. Yeah. But then, uh, then you're going to land on ice on thick ice and that's gonna that's not better um but yeah so that's but it's supposed to be very dramatic and high stakes but um and this is the choice that they make because it's better than the alternative but um yeah it's theon's like the fact that that's the moment that he's like sure let's go for it like yeah like oh really yeah but hey anyway at least it's better than not having that happen I suppose, but either way, it was it was really dumb. Um, so yeah, that wasn't so great. Also, not great. Dorn, Dorn, oh yep. Dorn. So yeah, I'm not even gonna touch that. Everyone knows it's dumb. Everyone knows why it's dumb. We don't care about Jamie as a father, and having him finally care about being a father for five seconds before it goes badly does not make it touching. Uh, it just makes the whole thing annoying. At least I thought so. Um, also, I wouldn't want to be that Dornish kid because who's still there if he's still alive? Because that's not going to be fun. Um, the Cersei thing I actually thought was really, really, really well handled. Um, I think the it was unpleasant in all the right ways, and uh, to force you to empathize for someone who you know is uh, has done so many horrible things and will continue to do horrible things at the nearest possible opportunity. Um, I think is is uh, for once an interesting place to put viewers and and the way that was directed with her point of view shots and constantly seeing um, the the castle in the background uh, the red the witch, the witch keep is it red seeing the red keep so far in the distance and seeing how far she has to go uh, and sort of seeing her as this martyr figure was uh, was really fascinating uh, I thought that was like the one really bravura sequence of the episode and then there's John. Um, which I'm just going to, I mean, for what it's worth, and I believe him, Kit Harrington says he's out. He says he had the walk with Benioff and Weiss and he's out. He's done. Uh, and I believe him because he seems like he wants to do other things. So that's fine. Um, I don't think that he, uh, I don't think that John is out. I think they'll do something with that. Um, I think he'll get turned into ghost or... He'll get turned into Bran, or he'll he'll get turned into Melisandre, who's there, and like that's not a coincidence. Um, but yeah, I don't think John is dead. I just think John's body is dead. And either way, uh, I didn't think the sequence was all that great, to be honest. I it, I don't he that it did not have the tragic weight that it should have. At least I don't think it did compared to compared to like 
the majesty of the uh of the Eddard sequence, which is like its closest analog. Um, I don't, I, I, I just didn't really feel it. Maybe just because I was so struck by how uh, unlikely it was to have long-term consequences. But, you know, that's that's just me. Can I get your quick thoughts on that? I know you're going to have a whole other podcast to talk about. Yeah, this, but... th- we talk about this plenty uh, over on the San Jose Game of Thrones podcast. Uh, but as we record this, my thoughts are, uh, got- Melisandre's right there. Yeah. She's right. That's, that's the there. main thing. There's no need for her to be there if she's not gonna go over and be all like, What? Fire God Valor, you know. Like we've seen red priests resuscitate people from death. We saw that previously in the show. So, um and when you say Kid Kid Har- you believe Kid Harrington's like, I believe Kid Harrington. I believe that he thinks he's not gonna be on the show right now. I I, I would be very, very, very surprised if he's not back next season or you know like i i just i i really don't think john is gone and i don't think that kit harrington as john is gone either so that's where i'm at with it all right my my official prediction mm-hmm. uh he gets warged into hodor forever and hodor is john yeah, but they, that would be badass well if they if this is the thing if they did that that it's it's terrible writing because they've done <laughs> no background like they've they've barely mentioned warging they haven't mentioned warging at all this season and they've barely done it on the show at all they've done just like the tiniest bit of it with Bran so like there's a lot of stuff established with warging that's in the books that has not been touched in the show so they could go there but if that was going to be the resolution to this they needed to at least have mentioned it and like talked about I don't like can John warg? We know that Bran can warg. Can John warg if he's like of the line or whatever? There's just been there's way too much contingent. Like we don't have any other eyes in the north on the wall, and that's that's where they keep telling us that's where the story is going. So this them trying to pretend that they're gonna kill that like that 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 protagonist or that voice, um, our only real eyes in in that part of the north are just gone is just. I think that's ridiculous, but that's unless unless Benjamin turns up, I don't think that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the question is for me isn't oh no, they want they kill John. Like it's how are they going to get out of this one? It's not like I'm not worried about John not being on the show. Fair enough. That's me. Um, I and and I if I'm wrong, I just hope I'm wrong in an interesting way. Yeah, because if he really is just dead, then it's just kind of stupid to be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Anyway. Uh, last thing I'll mention is, and I'm sure you'll talk about this on, on the other podcast, putting Benjamin Stark in the previously on was so evil. It was amazing. <laughs> and we will, we do talk about this on the other podcast, but it was, it was amazing. I loved that. Well done. I think they could, it would have been nice if they had, 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 you know, managed a shot of cereal as well. Cereal Pharrell, that would have been cool. But, um, yeah, that that was amazing, and tip of my imaginary hat to Benioff and Weiss for that, because well played, sirs, well played. Yeah, that was, uh, and also also for what it's worth, if you watch the um the behind the episode thing, uh, they they do reference uh the death of 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 Jon Snow, mm-hmm. like Benioff and Weiss do. They yeah. call it his death. Yeah. So, uh, but I know that doesn't mean anything, but. Just, yeah, for what it's worth. Another character who was dead is not dead in that episode. Like, Well, kind of. You know, we don't know what extent of not dead, but come on. This is like, there's already a zombie that's different than the White Walkers in in that exact same episode. So it's like, yeah, and? 
Yeah, that's true. Anyway, I mean, how overall thoughts on the season? Because to me, like looking back, like obviously episode eight was amazing. But other than that, it's just been so hit and miss for me. Yeah, it's been a bit of a mess. Um, lots of structural problems, lots of uh, mismanagement of their time and their resources. And um, hopefully they'll they'll have they'll go into the next season with a better with with they've been too focused on plot and not focused anywhere near enough on character and making there be a character reason to everything they're doing, not just a dominoes establishing reason. Yep. Anyway, you can hear lots more talk on the on sound the, yeah, of those podcast. podcast. Yep. So what one's your yes. weekend genre? Uh, I will give it to Sense8. And I will also give it to Sense8. So glad that is a thing this year, a fun discovery this year. Um, now a few show notes. You can find a post-up for this episode at soundonsite.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can leave us a rating or review on iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed and we would appreciate any feedback we get there. It does help other people find the show. Um, you can also find us on Facebook. You can like us to follow the goings on Soundonsite TV and we would love to start up a conversation there. Every now and again, somebody posts something, and it's awesome, um, so please do. Uh, you can also uh, find us both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Simon, you are? Uh, at Sucker Howl. And what is our question of the week? Showrunner swap. Ooh, make it happen. Make it happen. Currently running or yeah. any show? Currently running. Currently running they both right have now. to be currently running. Both have now, to be. Now, here's, here's my problem is the thing I would most want to see happen is I kind of want to see what Ronald D. Moore would do at Game of Thrones, um, but... I don't really want to, I don't need to see the Game of Thrones guys do Outlanders. <laughs> I mean, they're, it's, it's quite, they're already doing the things that Game of Thrones does poorly well, so I don't need to see that switch around. Well, that's, that's sort of where I'm at having trouble, because it's like, I, there are a lot of shows that I would love to see what Brian Fuller would do, but I don't want anybody else touching Hannibal. So, <laughs> so that's what makes it kind of tricky. Um, hmm. How about, how about Penny Dreadful and Outlander? That could be kind of interesting. You get more gothic stuff on Outlander, get more romance on Penny Dreadful. Well, just I could like, see that working. Well, I just, because of the sensibilities of the showrunners, I would be intrigued. It, it don't, not like I need them to, I don't want, the you know, Joe Logan, the Penny Dreadful people to do Penny Dreadful on Outlander, but I would be interested in their perspective, maybe. Or um, uh, I was thinking of a show like Inside Amy Schumer, you know, trading with with another comedy and just like but again that shows so you know i wouldn't want to see somebody else in charge of inside amy schumer so it's it's tricky but yeah i think that's a good question and i'm sure that there are some great picks out there that we just aren't thinking of um so current currently running as of this week so the shows that had finales don't count uh well yeah sure they do uh, okay. I, I, sh I should also mention that this was inspired by um, that image that I saw again of the uh, of the the story whiteboard that the orphan black people had. I think near the end of season one, uh, which explicitly I think episode seven was Allison takes the Iron Throne. Episode nine was everybody dies. Episode ten was question mark. <laughs> nice. Okay, let us know which two shows you would like to see swap showrunners for a week. Cause that's that's and and we should mention, of course, this did happen once. Uh, where, where CSI and How I Met Your Mother wrote episodes, the writers from, you know, they sw swapped shows for a week, and it was pretty delightful, at least on How I Met Your Mother. I didn't actually watch that episode of CSI. Um, but, yeah, let us know what your picks are, because I think that's pretty fun. I look forward to hearing what people come up with. Uh, but now we'll take a break, and I'll come back uh, with Brian Reitzel, the composer for Hannibal, to talk about the music of Season 3 and the series as a whole. So make sure, uh, so we'll be right back after that. 
This is Kate Kolzik, TV editor of soundonsite.org, and this past week I had the opportunity to speak with Brian Reitzel, the composer of and music supervisor for Hannibal. And uh, and so this is the my interview that I had with him. He was very generous with his time and sat down for about 45 minutes to speak with me about the scoring for the series and specifically um, this third season. There, there aren't direct spoilers for events happening in in the the upcoming season i have bleeped out one name that uh brian reitzel mentions that i considered spoilery um so you will hear that at a certain point but again as long as you are familiar with what the structure of the season will be and where where the characters begin the season and what the what change to expect at the midpoint of the season you should be fine listening to this interview and if not then just wait until we get to that midpoint episode seven episode eight episode nine of season three of hannibal and then you can listen to this then so without any further ado here's my interview with brian reitzel talking about the music of hannibal so thank you so much for talking with me today i'm sure you're incredibly busy with you know hannibal has got to be such an insane time uh time sink for you, but I really appreciate you fitting me in. Of course. Yeah, it's the hours are crazy. I'm sorry. Yesterday I thought was I don't even know what day it is. <laughs> I went to I worked until check this out. I worked until three. No, I worked till two, got in bed at three, and then had to get up at seven this morning to go to my daughter's school for something. So I did that and then I came went home to sleep for an hour and then I come in and work. <laughs> that is, I would be dead. I would be a dead person if I tried it's to. Ki- Honestly, it's it's killing me. It's taking a toll on me. I think so. Luckily, the the because this season, how many have you seen? I've seen the first three. Oh yeah, it just it gets so crazy. I can't believe this is actually going to be on television. Just wait till you get to the end of the first arc and then the beginning of the next. I mean. Yeah. It's insane. I was already thinking that with the second episode, um, with with um, when the heart unfolds, shall we say, I was like, how oh, is yeah. this a thing that's going to air on network television? But um, that's the beautiful thing about being on uh, network TV, I guess. On, if you're late enough you know, during the day, nobody cares. Nobody's watching. Nobody cares. I guess. Yeah. It's yeah. great. It's mind blowing. Anyway. Um, so <laughs> do you have a, a heart out? I, I want to respect your time. Uh, so is there, you know, you know, if you need to go, just let me know. And, you know. Oh, yeah. No, I set this time aside. So let's go ahead. You're okay. recording. Yeah. Whatever you want. I'm yours. <laughs> this is Kate Kolzig talking uh, for soundonsite.org, talking with Brian Reitzel, the composer and music supervisor for Hannibal. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Brian, uh, to talk with me about, about your wonderful score. Uh, Hannibal Season 3 is premiering tonight as we're talking. Um, and over the past two years, the the score for Hannibal has just been one of the most interesting and identifiable scores on TV. It's one that people really know the sound of, and they, you can identify just if you, if you hear it, you're like, oh, oh, that's Hannibal. And yet in this premiere, right away from the first moments, it's a completely new sound. It's a completely new approach. So I wanted to ask you, uh, how important was it for you to have a, a new sound and a new approach for the season as Hannibal is starting over? And then how did you settle on this sort of 60s, jazzy, a little lighter sound for for this premiere, <laughs> as well as the first half of the season? Well, I, I 
Italy, really. I mean, we changed the location, so I changed the sound world to suit that. And for me, I was really interested. I love the, you know, late 60s Italian universe. Um, There's something so cool and chic about it, you know. Um, so I think of those those soundtracks, you know, I, I think of um, Morricone and, and uh, you know, especially of that era, you know. Uh, but there's lots of great Italian, whether it's Goblin, you know, the Argento movies, whatever. And that's just quite famous, but I thought it would be interesting to use things like organ, drum machine, um, you know, some of the, the, the fuzz guitar and some of those effects, Um and also to bring in the element of, of jazz a, a little bit. Um, and I, I had done a movie once uh, that uh, offered me the opportunity to go through uh, like these basements of these uh, library houses in Paris. I was in, in, in Paris working on another project and I was collecting library music from the 60s. And to do that, I had to um, go into the basement. None of this stuff was digitized. Um, you know, the stuff I wanted, it was just, it was on records. So I had to like sit in these rooms with this portable turntable and go through records. And, but that was a great education in, you know, listening to so much of that, of that music and collecting it. So there's some in the show. There's some in the first episode with uh, one of the dinner scenes. There's two, there's two pieces kind of fused together. So is that like just an experience of sitting in a, one of those, you know, study rooms in a library just going, and I'll take this, and I'll take that? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the thing is they couldn't take it all. So I had to listen to it, give them a list, and then they took it, they digitized it for me. So they actually went and got the tapes, um, which was difficult because the tapes were in Italy and the library was in Paris, but uh, it all worked. I got it. Um, But it's more like, you know, studying it was, was the interesting thing for me. Also in the first episode, just the idea of, of the organ and like, I I think of the sort of color of the feel of Italy's like a giant church, you know, everywhere. Uh, (laughs) So I, I like to fuse in that sort of organ atmosphere um, which I think we did a bit of. And there's there's also quite a few classical cues in, in the first season as another way to sort of change things up a little bit. Um, but, you know, we added an upright bass, which we hadn't used before, and we added a trumpet, which we hadn't used before as well. So, yeah, um, yeah it starts right out with that motorcycle. I scored the motorcycle scene without any effects. So we made all of the motorcycle sounds with the with the instruments and you didn't miss the the motorcycle sound. Uh, I haven't seen I haven't seen the finished version, so I'll see it tonight and see how much motorcycle engine is in there. But I imagine David feathered it in there just right and it's going to work you know, even better than it ever worked in here. Well, and that's one of those things I was noticing in, in these first episodes. Well, and is, is how do you balance as a composer? How do you balance referencing what's happening on screen? Um, So, you know, with, you have like a a sort of growling horn as Hannibal starting up the motorcycle, you know, that kind of a thing without it just turning into Mickey mousing. <laughs> well, it is a little bit Carl Stalling. I mean, it 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 is meant to be operatic, you know. It Hannibal to me is a musical. It, it's nonstop music, and mm-hmm. I approach it as if it's as if it is, uh, you know, uh, it's a musical. So, 
it's my, I have to, I have to make that stuff, whether I want to or not. I find it infinitely more interesting to have, you know, a lot of these sounds that, that we know, whether it's a, a motorcycle sound or, or the, the drops of water, the ocean, um, you know, those are wonderful sounds to blend into the score, <laughs> you know. You mentioned the organ, and the organ is all over these these early episodes, particularly from episode two on. Is what I was where I was noticing it, and I have to ask: in the first episode, because you haven't mentioned this, am I making this up, or is there synth going on? Because for me, that was one of my big like all caps notes as I was watching. Oh my god, is this synth as Bedelia is walking around Italy? And if so, if not, then I'd love for you to tell me what I'm what I was you know mistaking. <laughs> um, but uh, then I was think, you know, thinking back to when we talk, had a chance to talk at Comic-Con last year and you mentioned the organ is the instrument of life because the air yeah. just keeps coming. And you could argue the same is true for electronic or synth. You just push a button and it just keeps going. Yeah, but it's, it's, it, it's, it's a different kind of a creature, an electronic instrument, as opposed to, you know, the, the organs that were, you know, it's blowing air. <laughs> which is infinite and i think I, I mentioned the organ because we were using the harpsichord which is the instrument of death uh you know and and it's true now now that we're where we are with this with the new season there is more organ um that's just in the first that's just while we're in europe though because mm -hmm. you know it's it's helping establish italy for me and and your comment about the synth yes there there are some synth some old analog synthesizers there's also a drum machine uh a roland cr78 which is my favorite drum machine and and it it it, it helps you know and it, again it sounds the original drum machines were made to accompany organs you know um so you put a drum machine an organ together and you've got a pretty complete package that's really yeah. It's I, I don't. I'm not. That's not my world. My world is old, old dead German guys. That's you know my violin world. So uh, it's interesting to to learn about oh, that right. connection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So with with um because with Will we for in the second third episode we get um this connection to the Norman Chapel and all the organ for that. So we should expect organ not just for that location but really more for an atmosphere of of Italy. Um, it sounds like. Yes. But also if, if they were sitting there in the day at that time in the church, like they are, nobody would be playing organ, mm -hmm. you know, but I put it in there. It's just, you know, because our show's a musical we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're scoring it, Yeah, but it's not, it's not meant to sound like someone's playing in the church. Yeah. No. Yeah. Diegetic versus non-diegetic. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, the, the texture you mentioned with the the different sounds and building because I know that when you compose you you have these different samples and these different sounds and you layer them and layer them and layer them. Um, I was really noting in these uh, you know, in this series, but especially in these early episodes, the contrast in your approach to texture for Will versus Hannibal and Bedelia. Will is this really thick sound; it's just almost a wall of sound. That's you know how I think of it at least. Whereas with Hannibal and Bedelia, it's so much more spare, especially in their dial it's, it seems, feels like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern um questions game kind of back and forth with the two of them it's a lot more spare do you think of that as just connecting to you know the mindset of the characters or or because you know Will's more thinking and less talking so there's more space for music how how do you approach that use of texture well well i think of Will as being damaged you know he's 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 fragile though he's damaged he he can like melt down at any moment Hannibal doesn't ever melt down. You know, he, he's, he's very contained and, and he, you know, I, 
there's something just that's 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 cold and very complex about him. Um, and Bedelia is a bit more mysterious intentionally um, because you know Bedelia's instrument used to always be just a sea of woodwinds, and uh, for the most part, you know now now you've got all this upright bass, and you know that when she's when she's going underwater and um, you know. It's changing. Everybody's changing, and the music changes as they change. And I'm uh, <laughs> like the audience. I'm sort of following along. I just happen to be. I'm on episode nine now, so I'm a little further ahead. <laughs> <laughs> just a little. But you know, whatever they give me is what they get back. And and I, yeah, it's that's that's interesting. I didn't really think about how Will was being scored so much. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, do, do are you affected in your composing for these different characters by the cadences of the actors? Because you know there totally. are times, yeah, with the speech pattern. I mean, somebody like Eddie Izzard, he just chews his dialogue, whereas you know somebody like Gillian Anderson, it's much more yeah. reserved. So how how does that affect your approach? Well, but you'll notice most people seem to talk in a very similar tempo, uh, unless they're upset or whatever. Um, and it's just fun to play with with their different um, the character of of the rhythms of of their voices and uh, and everybody it's everybody in the show. I mean Eddie Izzard mm-hmm. <laughs> he he's got a wonderful um, rhythm to his phrasing. It's just it's really fun. And I play right on top of it. I mean I'll I'll compliment them all the time. Uh, with with a little percussion hit from a uh, a, a whip or or a bell or, or something, I like playing with it, and and I think that this season is way more playful in their sort of banter back and forth amongst all of the actors, especially in those those first couple seasons. Yeah, the there's um, when you're talking about these different like accents to the the dialogue and interjections. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, how do you approach um, for? With these, because there's a lot of, especially in the the first episode, there's a lot of comedy. Um, yeah. How does that? How do you approach that? Because I know a lot of people, a lot of composers like to just give that space. Um, is that your approach, or do you, you know, go for that? You know, hit a percussion to accent it. It it all it depends on the show. You know, I've done I've done comedic movies and things, um, but with Hannibal, what it requires is is. For us to sort of, yeah, sometimes we'll we'll leave it. You'll see. It's all about where you where you hit, you know. And and um, the thing about this show is that when I watch it, there's a there's a pulse, there's a there's a flow in the entire show, and I can I can feel that. And when we're making the music, I'm walking around bopping my head to the sort of feel of the show because it has such a um, succinct sort of rhythm to it it's the editing it's the actors it's the you know it's the phrasing of of the whole show and once you just find that pulse you just i just build on top of that yeah i wanted to ask you specifically about the rhythm because i've read in other interviews that you don't compose to a click track no i hate them i hate (laughs) (laughs) there's such specific rhythms though within the all these different percussion instruments that you use and as a musician i key into it doesn't just sound like yeah random noise to me sounds like okay there's a there's a a sex tuplet and then get into a you know how do you compose then if you don't have if you're not lining them up with with us uh you're just recording separate percussion um samples and then like slowing it down if need be with the computer do you just like go let's do the same thing in five different tempos and decide what i need 
what I do is I sit down. First of all, I don't, I don't use hardly any samples. I play, you know, especially in the percussion world, I don't ever use samples. It's all played. Um, I can sit down and be a human click track. So I'll sit down and, and sit at a drum set or I'll sit in front of some wood blocks or I'll, you know, I'll go from scene to scene and, and do a different scene with a different instrument and make the click track. I can build on top of that and then take it away. Uh, that's typically what I do. Um, there's a lot of subtraction that goes in because I like to sit down and just play the whole show. You know, mm -hmm. I just get it. It's a, it's, I, I really think of it as a stream. And once I get in that stream, I'm just, you know, kind of swimming along. Uh, <laughs> and you know, there's, oh, there's a tree coming at me in the middle of the water. <laughs> you gotta go around that or whatever. So when you have these different instruments, are you then going through an episode with one instrument and then started, cause I know that you, you play, you know, most of your, if not all of your percussion instruments yourself. So then you're not recording them all first and then layering them together later. You're, you're record, you're going through the episode once with one instrument and then like starting over with a new instrument. Yeah. Yeah. And I rarely, I rarely, um, edit to line things up. I like, I love just, like I said, it's, there's a pulse and I'll just be in that pulse. I could do the same, you know, piece of, of film five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve, twenty times, and I'm, you know, I'm still going to grab that same pulse from it. So, um, yeah. No wonder it's so time consuming. Then <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, and 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 you know, and I do have a group of musicians that I call in to play, you know, different things for me, and depending on who's around and um, you know, and what the show needs. Uh, will depend on what 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 that requires too, you know. But mostly, it's me just kind of sitting down and <laughs> jumping in the stream. That's interesting. Um, with season two having such a heavy percussion base, it was almost oppressive scoring, really putting you into to Will's um, mind. And that's something that started in season one with Tobias. Here, that's uh, th those instrumentations and those rhythms are still there, but it's certainly down a notch it's you know a little dialed down he's a little more maybe more stable maybe not um but is that something we should expect then to key back up when we get to francis Dollarhide, or are you gonna are you <laughs> you're taking a completely different approach for that oh yeah no we're easing you into the water here okay trust me, <laughs> trust me. we yeah it it i've done the grandest things i've ever done for the show uh this season by by a mile um and that's in in every department um so yeah, yeah. Okay, so hold on to your hats, basically. Hold on, hold on to your hats, yeah. Because really, really, the orchestra gets bigger each season. You know what I mean? I'm I'm keeping the things that I have, but I'm 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 adding to it new sounds and new instruments, and and you know, Italy is one thing, but once we get back over to Baltimore, it's an, another, and then we go to to see Will and 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 then the Red Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Yay. Yeah. It's not going to be disturbing at all. Um, well, along with um, the organ and the synth and the drum machine that we've talked about for Italy, um, are there other instruments we should be keeping an ear out for? Well, the trumpet, uh, the upright bass, um, and these were played by, you know, a trumpet player and a bass player. <laughs> I wasn't playing that. I wasn't using samples. Thank you, uh, by the way. The classical yeah. musician here who would like to thank you for using real musicians <laughs> oh i do use real musicians the cello um all of it um what else to, there's you know there's 
there's lots of little unique things. I mean, once we get to the Red Dragon, there's a whole new set of instruments going on. Um, these things called bass tone bars that are each note is just a giant tuned piece of, of wood and it sits on a big resonator box and each one is on a set of wheels and I wheel them in to my studio and you can barely walk in the room because there's, you know, there's about 10 of them and the biggest one is the size of a, uh, of a piano, basically <laughs> not as deep. Um, so those instruments will come in. There's, there's a bunch of, I, I, I got really interested in the rhythms of, of ping pong balls. So there's some ping pong balls that I play in some old antique um, Japanese uh, singing bowls. I'm really into collecting old pieces of, of, of metal, old, old bronze symbols and things, which I'm finding. Um, they sound so rich, you know, the older they are, the, the more complex uh, I got one the other day though, and it was just completely green. It was so tarnished. I th we we think it's at least 150 years old. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it'll have just a few vibrations worked into it then. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really cool. When you're talking, we're talking about this, or this orchestration. I know that when we last spoke, you were working on orchestrating part of your score for a symphony orchestra. Is that a project yeah. you're continuing? And how has that affected yeah. your approach? Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna incorporate pieces of it into the score. So as things, uh, the the our orchestra is gonna get really big as we as we get towards the Red Dragon. In fact, yeah, once we get there, we're we're probably about seventy piece orchestra. It's mostly adding the strings because we're gonna add a bunch of strings to it. Um. <laughs> I look forward to, to hearing it. Yeah. Um, how do you approach when you're scoring? Because in these first episodes, we saw this in season two as well, but how do you approach scoring a scene for the second time? So we had the Kaiseki and Mizumono fight scene, but then here we have the Mizumono Primavera red dinner scene and yeah. Hannibal's office we get again. And for like the Hannibal's office scene, there's still that, that Mizumono ticking and the, some of the scoring is the same, but then leading into it, there's this shuddering sound or the, the red dinner scene is completely differently scored. How do you approach that? And how do you like, how much do you, are you looking to tie it together or do you figure the visuals tie it? You can just go crazy with the, with the score. Well, I tell you my, my master on this show has always been the visuals. Like everything that I do is very, detailed with with the visuals um and i i think it i honestly think it helps the 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 visual side get its point across even better you know what i mean i think the show looks better because i'm paying that sort of attention to detail to to hitting all their stuff you know if you see something you know, whether it's the mushrooms or in this case you see you see the snails that that are feeding on eddie izzard uh, <laughs> uh uh, you know, I'm making snail sounds. So, you know, we, we do whatever we can to help in, in that respect. Um, but to answer your question, um, I think it's really, when I, I think you have to have connection of, of some kind. Sure, the audience has seen it before. We don't want to, the thing I didn't want to do was just play the same music again, because that doesn't make any sense. 
you know, if it's a memory, it needs to feel like that. And everybody's seen it. I know everybody's seen it. And and I've seen it and I've worked on it. And I want it to be a new experience, but I want it to have all of the old the weight of, of what happened in, in the past in there. And some of that color, because it is the same room, you know, it's the same environment. It's, you know, the colors are, are the same and et cetera, et cetera. So I'm I'm really thinking about you know, how to do that. That wasn't easy to do either. And and with the Eddie Izzard scenes, I've got these classical pieces in there, but I've completely altered them by processing them in different ways to make them feel less present and more like a memory. Um, so that that's me playing music supervisor, but then I'll get in there and kind of add a little score richness underneath it to, to elevate it even, even more if I can. Well, that was one of my questions for you. How important to you is it to make those pieces recognizable to the audience? Because as, you yeah. know that that prelude to the afternoon of fun, it's instantly recognizable. But there is all this other stuff going on. Do you want the audience to be aware of the other stuff going on, or do you want them to to notice it subconsciously, but not necessarily key into it on a conscious level? Uh, the, you know, I. It depends on the scene. Sometimes I think it's great if it's recognizable. Other times, honestly, since since this show is is made on, you know, kind of, let's just say it doesn't have a big budget for <laughs> for licensing <laughs> music. So a lot of the music that you're hearing is 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 beautiful, wonderful, but it's library music. And you know, if I had my way and and I had the money for it, I would really love to properly kind of curate the the classical licensed music because you know and we do sometimes we throw in some really fantastic recordings um there there's a mozart uh, piano piece in in that we licensed that was really pretty excellent um but for the most part i i don't it doesn't matter to me so much i want them to get the vibe i want them to get the atmosphere and the tone it's it's mostly about the tone but i love the fact that that people do recognize that that we would put ravel or debussy in there or whatever it is and the connections between um what mason verger would listen to and and what hannibal would listen to when when they're each having their own dinner parties because it's 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 all there for a reason and and it's nice if you can kind of follow along and, and understand you know get it and know know the songs so that's that's cool well then how does that affect when we have because i noticed in these first two episodes and it may have happened before and i just didn't catch it very possible because like you said there's so much music on the show it's wonderful um but this season we have repetition of a few pieces um, for the first time in my memory, at least. Uh, so we have like the Chopin raindrop prelude shows up here in Antipasto as Bedelia's taking her bath. And it was previously in Nakachoko in season two as Hannibal and Will and uh, Alana all had their first dinner together after all of that weirdness uh, <laughs> of the one saying the other one tried to frame. It's a whole, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or, or the Foray Requiem Piezu was used in season two and it's used again here. Are you intentionally trying to draw parallels or more? Which is, it sounds pretty and it's a good piece. So why not use it again? Yeah, yeah. Both of those were, was was purely musical. It wasn't about making connections. But, and and I, I didn't think the connection, if, if someone found that connection as you just did i didn't think it it, it mattered mm -hmm. because that chopin piano piece is one of my favorite pieces of piano music ever i know it's quite famous i'm i don't even love that version but what 
the way that we were able to work with it, I really tried to integrate that into the score. So it, so it felt more like it was score than it was actually playing on the turntable or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, mm-hmm. that, and then that leads into my my next question, which you you may have already answered. But mm-hmm. as a super, music supervisor, how do, then are you deciding which versions to use? Because, for example, the Dvorak String Serenade, I love that faster tempo for the waltz. I, yeah. and I was having a harder time finding that faster tempo because yeah. a lot of people take it slowly. Uh, do you get the opportunity to like listen to three different versions and then pick one, or are you just basically stuck with whatever happens to be in the library? Well, Brian, Brian Fuller had told me that he, you know, we had a waltz coming up because um, I wasn't yet really working on the show yet. They were still shooting. So I um, I found some waltzes that I liked and I sent some to him. And, and that was the one that, that, that he loved, which is great because it's the one that I loved. And um, and then they shot to it. Um, but, yeah, and that's a fantastic recording, too. That was that was something that took a little more time because I I had time. Uh, but there's quite a few pieces this, this season. I, we just recorded a 10 year old boy singing a Mozart piece. Um, uh, <laughs> and, you know, sometimes we have to record it. Sometimes I get to license it from a library company. Other times I can license it from, from my record collection. Um, it just, it depends. There's so many variables, you know? Yeah. Um, well, and that was another one that I was curious about, because with the Requiem, sometimes it's a soprano, sometimes it's a boy soprano, it's such yeah. a different timbre. Um, so it sounds like that's an intentional choice then to go with the boy totally. soprano. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I mean, I, we, we'd love to find some castrados. You know? <laughs> that's what the Mozart piece was written for, but I couldn't find, I couldn't find one. And so they, they shot to uh, a woman singing, and then we redid it. I had to redo it. Uh, rearrange it and re-record it so that we could have a boy singing it because yeah. that's what was on camera. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then my last question about different versions. Do you have like a go-to performer for when Hannibal is playing the piano? Do you have like a certain type of sound? Do you try to keep that consistent or is it again just whatever version you that have access to that you like? No, I would... And it's it's varied. There have been a few instances where... Uh, I, I use someone else, but for the most part, Dave Palmer is my keyboard guy. So he can come in and um, he's a great jazz player, especially. Um, but yeah, we, we've recorded our own version of the Goldberg variations on, on harpsichord and on piano. And I just did another just beautiful recording of it um, with a, with a nice old Steinway. Um which which I'm I'm hoping to use in season three. <laughs> I haven't used it yet. One of the other things I was noticing um, this season and last season as well with these classical pieces is when again is there a thematic connection when you're when you're using the same work but different movements. So in season two there were the three excerpts from the Fourier Requiem. Here we have um, the Donizetti Don Pasquale used a couple different arias used. Or again, is that just am I? I, I like to overanalyze. It's kind of the thing well, I do. Well, I'm trying. No, no, no. It's great. It's great. I, and there's a reason for all these things. Yeah, I thought it was interesting to just use something that sounded very Italian as well. And and you know in the in the opening of season one with that opera cue that was us trying you know really trying to set the place of of more than anything else you know trying 
be more Italian with, with the opera. I mean, most of the, most of the opera is Italian. So, so <laughs> it makes it easy. And there's a really fun use of a Rossini opera cue that, um, that is, <laughs> it's really fun. It's coming up. Oh, I look, I look forward to it. So, so it's less like, let's make sure we reference, um, Don Pasquale in episode one and in episode three, it's more about Donizetti sure sounds Italian, right? Yes. That's okay. exactly what it is. Oh, interesting. I'm looking forward to that Rossini. You were you were probably looking even deeper, but but no, you know, I'm not sitting here reading the libretto, <laughs> which I've done when I worked when I did a movie called Marie Antoinette. I I studied opera for months and and got to live in Paris and got to just really learn every day more and more and collect and study and oh, I'm not a huge fan of of you know, opera comique. Um, but I, you know, I prefer it when it gets, we get to Wagner and we get a little darker and, (laughs) (laughs) but man, the, it, it, you know, the Rossini was also kind of a, a a nod to Kubrick. So, uh, when when uh, you mentioned other, other references, um, one, I was, discussing the premiere with with another critic and they mentioned that to them the use of synth was a nod towards the score for man manhunter which apparently has a bunch i actually haven't seen it but apparently has a bunch of synth um do you intentionally make other nods to hannibal adaptations like using vide cormeum for example in the season one finale um or do you or is that just again us having fun over analyzing no, the, the the synth was not meant to be 80s-style synth. Um, mm-hmm. I have not seen Manhunter either. I won't see it until I'm done working on this show. Um, I uh, And I can't wait to see it because I love Michael Mann. I love the idea of it being an 80s synth thing. Um, but for me, I was being more Italian, Prague, Goblin, um, you know... Uh, like horror soundtracks from that era. Um, that's why I threw the synth in there. Okay. Um, one of the things I've noticed in the last, uh, more in the more recent episodes, so season two and, and this beginning of season three, is the, the scoring over the closing credits, which mm-hmm. at first there wasn't as much, but um, that's become more, it's a more regular feature. How uh, specific are you with that for, for example this episode three has the the woodblock comes in and it's the most ominous woodblock ever <laughs> after that <laughs> memorable last line from hannibal at the end of season three um yeah so is that are, are you thinking about you know what's going to come next and these other things or are you just um you know do you do you just like scoring over the credits more you just well here this that's interesting because first of all i every single episode of this show i have scored the credits with with complete love they are some of the finest moments of the of the score sometimes and and i'm never recycling anything from the score so it's its own it's its own piece of music um but with this season this season i had to work on it differently because they were going to shoot they had to do more um shooting in in europe so i didn't have locked picture until much much later so i worked on the first seven episodes out of order so the first one i did i think was the third one 
And then, but I got the first, I got parts of the first one first. So I started on the motorcycle opening and then moved on. Right. And then I moved around from like 303 and then I did like five or no, then I did six and then I went back to two and then to four, then to three. And, and since I was moving in that way, I did know what was going to happen in the next show. So I could use some of those elements or some of those ideas in the credits from the, from the show before it. Um, and I think I did do that, but it's all like, it's, it's so full on here. I can't remember what was done for what, unless you, unless you put it in front of me to listen to it. I mean, there's that, there's so much music and all, but because of this schedule, normally I work on the shows chronologically and I watch the shows chronologically. I don't read the script so I can just kind of really get my, my gut response to the picture the first time I see it. Um, but with this episode, I mean, with this season, until now, right? So with Red Dragon being one, I'm now kind of moving chronologically. So it's it was really interesting. I think there's some there's some advantages to working in this way, um, and, and that would be one of them. You know, the foreshadowing that you can do. And I would imagine the disadvantage would be your sanity, trying to jump back and forth. Oh yeah, it's 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 much harder for me to work in this way because because I can't rely on anything, you know, reusing sort of anything, which I don't like to do anyways. But you know, once a new character comes in, then you, I have to make a new thing for them. You know, <sighs> <laughs> you've mentioned uh, before, and it sort of ties in with what we were just saying about your your philosophy of composition, and I I would love to hear you expound on that a bit, like. For example, you mentioned earlier charting the character's progress over time, something like the, I call it the Will's Happy Place theme. I don't know what you would call it, but the, you know, the Winston, you know, when he meets Winston in the, oh, yeah. in the that piano thing, and then watching that progress, do you, do you are you intentionally like shaping the character, taking the, the, the audience along on that journey, or do you prefer to um, sort of contrast what's going on, or how, what's your approach to that? Are you trying to tell a story, or are you just trying to complement what's on screen? You know, it's it really is. I'm trying to tell a story. You should be able to sit down and listen listen to the score, and get the whole thing. Um, and I'm not trying to dumb anything down for the audience. I'm just trying to make a heightened show. This this show is unlike anything else that I've ever worked on. Um, and and I think I'm just embracing it more and more and more. Um, but it's all in the 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 development it's in the bruises from the past and it's in you know the victories of the present and then you know the whole aging process and and things moving and things mutating and yeah will's always going to have that that theme and 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 you know fly fishing and that serenity that that's there i mean he can close his eyes and go there if he wants um but but it's different now so things do need to be scored in a way that that you know goes along with with that that's the reality of of the show and my job is about helping you know create that reality do you think of the of the your work and the score as as guiding the audience or manipulating them no or... no my my job is not to manipulate or really to guide either my job is to be right with the audience um, and to sort of, 
color the things that are going on. I think it, it's, I'm just trying to pull people into the show. Like I want it to be as immersive as possible, which is why this show is really hyper um, surround. The best way to experience this show is, is in five one for sure, because it's, we, we, we don't just mix in five one, we record in five one. So, or rather in quad, you know, with a front and a, and a back. So things will spin around your head. Things will move from, you know, <laughs> all sorts of different sort of reverse figure eight patterns and things that just create an atmosphere. And, and, you know, we, we do what we think works in here. And, and, you know, luckily people are listening, you know, I, 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 when the show plays on TV, I will go home and watch it with headphones on and headphones, Headphones are cool too because it's it's you get a lot of the the fold down is done properly so you, you know you're not going to have phase issues but um, <laughs> yeah if if you can't do quad then watch with headphones. <laughs> <laughs> well, it it makes it such a rich experience and to to know that that's there then when people have their super fancy very beautiful setups at home they get a richer experience than those of us stuck watching on a laptop or on you know just a regular crappier tv it's so so you can then just stand back and feel very uh confident in what you're presenting so i'm sure that must be to have the opportunity to do that must be very satisfying well i i look that's how i look at things i look at things with my my big you know professional fancy surround system in the studio that's how we work and then I check them on my laptop with headphones. Now, granted, I have good headphones and I have a good, I have this thing called a Dragonfly, which is like a digital to audio, analog converter. Um, but it's less than a hundred bucks. This stuff isn't expensive and, and it just makes the experience richer. You know, the score can be pretty oppressive. It could be offensive. You know, if you're, if you play and you should play it loud, um, cause it just, it, it'll, it's physical, you know? Um, so if you can turn it up, but then you're going to offend anyone that's in your house, especially at 10 o'clock at night. So if you have kids, you're, you got to watch it with headphones on. You can't watch it quietly. You know, this is not a show to watch quietly. This is like a rock concert in a, in a way it's a physical experience or, or rather it's, it's a concert hall. So, you know, if you, if you put on, a Penderecki symphony, uh, you know, it's, at one point you're going to, a lot of people are going to have to turn it down. <laughs> you know, <laughs> everybody yeah. actually, I have to turn it down, but, but that I love having that dynamic. And I don't know how much of that really comes across with broadcast TV, but, but, you know, we do the best we can. Well, you've been so generous with your time. Um, thank you so much. But before we go, I need to ask you, you have a background as a chef. You yeah. trained as a chef and worked as a chef. Um, yeah. And I was amazed that hasn't come up in more interviews because that's fascinating to me uh, because it feels like such a perfect fit for Hannibal. Does that affect the way you view the show uh, either as a composer or just as, as a viewer? Totally. Yeah, no, it's – I think that when I, being a chef is what sort of prepared me to do this kind of scoring um, you know, cause Hannibal is like a, it's kind of like making a, a, a big feast, you know, there's a lot of setup and prep work and, you know, sort of as music supervisor, I, I feel like I'm ordering all the produce and the fish and the meats and things. And then as the chef, you're kind of putting it all together and then you have to 
make it. And that's when the picture's rolling and you're recording. That's your line cook. Uh, and then you have to, you know, be really mess the kitchen up and then clean it all back up for the next day so that you can start all over again, <laughs> making what, you know, it's, it, the, the parallels are, are all over the place in terms of those two jobs for me and those two mindsets. And I've always felt that, that food and, and making food and making music were just completely related. It's a, such a similar mindset for me. And I love to cook, and, and I I try to – I stopped being a chef when, when I moved down to Los Angeles, which I was like 23. Um, so I wasn't a chef for very long, only only about a year, year and a half because I was you know studying and training before then. Um, but I continue to buy books, you know, the same way I would buy, you know, <laughs> one of Takamitsu's scores to look at the score. I'll, I'll buy cookbooks so that I can see how people are using and combining these ingredients, you know, because really that's all it is. It's rhythm, it's, and it's combining, you know, different spices and things to, to create depth and, and harmony and all that stuff. It's the same as making music. That's great. And the sensual experience of both. It's really oh, yeah. the tactile, sensual experience of eating, of listening, of enjoying and submersing yourself in the art and the artistry and it's the craft instant. that goes with it. Yeah, you get instant gratification and then it's something that you can share with the people that you love, you know, which is I love to cook for for my friends and my family and and I'm excited for people to <laughs> hear Hannibal in in a very similar sort of way. You know, yeah. to see Hannibal, not just hear it. It's a it's a complete package. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I really appreciate you you talking with me today. Li our, my, our listeners, uh, if they don't already have it, should go get the soundtrack for season one and season two. Huge, awesome two part CD set for both. And Mondo just came out with a fantastic looking double LP uh, that my co host at one of my podcasts, The Telever Simon, is just salivating over because it looks amazing. <laughs> it looks like steak tartare. Only with Hannibal, right? Yeah, it's the most beautiful record I've ever seen, though. I, I just want to eat it. Yeah. Well, and there's your combination <laughs> of the music and the food right there. You can put it yeah. on your on your record player. Yeah. Um, is there any? Would you like to mention any other projects that, that our listeners should check out? You had your album last year, or any other you know ways that people can like reach? I don't know. Are you on Twitter? I don't know if that's a thing that you do. No, I don't do any social media because I'm I'm too busy doing Pro Tools uh, and email, which is which is whew. <laughs> <laughs> it keeps me busy, but. Um, there, there's some things that are going to happen very shortly. Just, just thanks for thanks for listening, and and we'll um, uh, we'll we'll put some stuff out there. Yeah, keep your ears open. There'll be something coming. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you so much. Um, it's a pleasure to talk to you, sir. Great. Thanks, Kate. You take care. <laughs>